Good afternoon. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now, our theme this week is More Blake and you are going to hear the second part of my interview with curator of the William Blake exhibition at the Tate Britain, Amy Kincannon. Now, the exhibition is still on at the Tate Britain right now, so definitely pop along and see it. It is a really, really worthwhile show. Um, But before we get to my interview, I'm going to do a little breakdown of some of Blake's most famous works and some of my favourite works too. Now, I think I've said before, I actually, I think I said it during my interview with Amy, actually, that I've not always been the biggest fan of Blake and his work. Um, I studied Blake as part of my A-level history class, art history class, sorry, um, as kind of part of the Romantic era. And I studied him and I, I think I found some of his works a bit hard to relate to. They didn't really appeal to the more structured nature of my personality and the sort of the desperate need I had to understand everything at that age. Uh, they, they, they're quite far-fetched in some respects his his uh, images and his illustrations, his watercolours. And they're sort of a bit fantastical too. They can be a bit obscure in their meaning. Um, a lot of symbolism um, and a lot of kind of, there's a power to the images that I just I found a bit hard um, to relate to in some senses. But the Tate Britain exhibition definitely helped me to order my thoughts on Blake. And that's why I sort of suggest going to see it. If you're a fan or if you're maybe not even a fan, I would definitely go and see it anyway. And it really helped to put some of these ideas in context and Whilst I still probably wouldn't choose to look at his work every day, I definitely feel um, more of an appreciation for it than than I've ever really felt before. So absolute positives going to see. I'm so glad I did. Now, the first piece I want to talk about is the, the piece that's on the front of the brochure for the exhibition at the Tate Britain. It's called Europe and it is the frontispiece, which is essentially the little illustration that faces the title page of the book of one of his um, one of the books he made called The Ancient Days Um, and it's as I said front page on the brochure and because the exhibition is chronological and it was one of the last pieces that Blake ever did it is at the end of the exhibition but it is probably one of the most famous images from William Blake at the time and it's it's a relief etching work with ink and watercolour on paper. And it was created in 1827, as I said, just before Blake um, passed away. And it actually, they say, critics have said that, I find this quite hard to believe, but bear with me, that apparently he painted the end of the piece in watercolour from his deathbed. Uh, So it really, really is the final piece that he ever created. Hence probably why it's so famous, but it is also very, very poignant too. There's a figure in the image called Eurizen, who is supposed to personify the sort of scientific quest for answers. Uh, He appears crouched and nude. He's got these kind of flowing white hair and a big beard. And he's measuring the world with a golden compass, which is a popular motif for Blake, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a second. But his actions are supposed to symbolise a sort of threat to free thought and imagination, things that were incredibly important to Blake, almost instrumental to the meaning of life to him. And so it's almost quite critical of this figure sort of trying to limit the world into the parameters of scientific objectivity with his compass. He's sort of trying to say, yes, I, I realise that the world is very beautiful and creative, but here's me. I'm going to I'm going to use science to sort of uh, pigeonhole certain aspects of life. And that was one thing that Blake found really quite um, scary. And so, uh, again, this is such a, a kind of clear image of the romantic period, because, as I said, I've said this before when talking about 
about Blake when talking about Turner, but the Romantic period is all about sort of um, that sort of hark back to nature and the sublimity of nature. It, the Romantics felt very threatened by the scientific enlightenment and the industrial revolutions at the time. So, yeah, this is this kind of it's sort of trying to suggest perhaps that um, that we've kind of gone the wrong way in, in the developments of our country and things like that. Again, quite a critical piece. And the use of dark colours, there's reds, browns and blacks. It's a really, really rich piece. It doesn't really look like it's watercolour. It looks like it's perhaps maybe oil or even acrylic or something like that. I mean, acrylic wasn't available at the time, but it looks like it's done in a kind of a stronger medium, but there's a real rich contrast um, between this sort of piercing light of the gold compass and the really, really dark um, surroundings. And there's a power and an intensity to it because of that contrast as well, which is really, really interesting. Um, the image was also used, interestingly enough, for Stephen Hawking's book, the front cover um, of, of God Created the Integers. So I thought that was um, really, really interesting that um, it was used for scientific purposes, despite its um, potential criticism of that kind of uh, of that kind of world that was going on at the time. Um, and it was also used as the concept album cover for American funk band Slave in 1978. I'm not going to lie, haven't heard of them, but uh, for anyone anyone a little bit older than me, I'm sure you are aware of who that band is. Now, my favourite work from the exhibition is called Newton, and it was created somewhere between 1795 and 1805, and it is a colour print using ink and watercolour. Uh, now, sort of, Blake has painted Isaac Newton, who I'm sure you all know um, being uh, affiliated with gravity and kind of coming up with the, uh, I guess, uh, what's it called? Uh, the formula for gravity there we go uh, but he's painted young buff Isaac Newton who looks like he has never spent a day out of the gym he's so hench in this in this image um, it's also quite unusual to see uh, Newton painted so young he's normally painted a bit older um, and a bit wiser because of obviously his background in science and um, so yeah so he's painted crouching on a nude on a rock that has these sort of beautiful colourful coral and algae, algae on it um, and it sort of appears like he's underwater almost at the bottom of the seabed but instead of kind of admiring his beautiful surroundings uh, Isaac Newton is sort of he's he's drawing with a compass on paper and concentrating hard on what he's drawing rather than his surroundings and it is thought that Blake was intending to be really critical of Newton's scientific rationale again in the face of um, what Blake was trying to do with his romantic um, images he's trying to concentrate on emotion and the kind of the beauty of nature and the power and of thought rather than the rules of science. And it's sort of suggesting that maybe Newton's ignorant to the stunning natural beauty of his surroundings. So Blake's really, really keen to kind of reject the more reductive approach to nature that the scientific enlightenment bore and thought that it was stifling man's creativity and sort of downplaying the beauty of nature as well. This is a quote from Blake. Art is the tree of life. Science is the tree of death. So that kind of gives a really clear indication of where Blake's stance on um, science and art. I personally think they go hand in hand, but Blake Blake was very, very sort of um, sceptical of the scientific revolution at the time. And it is part of the exhibition, as I said, at the Tate Britain. It's presented this piece along with 11 other large, really, really colourful prints of varying subject matters. Some are from the Bible. There's a few from Shakespeare. There's also some from uh, the very, very vivid imagination of Blake himself. But it's so bright and bold. And I think that's why I was drawn to it as somebody that loves colour. It seemed unlikely that it was a watercolour, but it is a watercolour and a print. And I just, I thought it was really 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 beautiful um, as well and these 
These images were also called, Blake called them frescoes, which as well as the fact, I think I mentioned last week, that Blake invented his own mythology to sort of insert himself into the great masters of art and history. He also does this with these works by calling them frescoes. It sort of harks back to medieval and a Renaissance style of painting as well. But yeah, really, really loved seeing those. Now, some of the images that are not on display were the Dragon series of work. There was one that was on display, but not the particularly one, particular one sorry, that I'm going to speak about. Now, the Great Red Dragon paintings are a series of watercolour paintings created between 1805 and 1810 by Blake. And they were commissioned by Thomas Butts, who was um, one of Blake's most uh, influential patrons. And he commissioned over 100 images of the Bible. So these sort of fit into that uh, era. And the Great Red Dragon um, comes from the Book of Revelation, which is the final book of the New Testament, uh, which essentially warns Christians against neglecting their faith. And the quote uh, from which this piece is um, described, so this is the Bible quote of which Blake sort of took and then ran with it. It says, An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head, who descended upon a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and crown, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. So you guessed it, the piece I'm talking about is the great red dragon and the woman clothed with the sun. Now, even if you don't recognise that very, very long title, I'm sure you would definitely recognise it if you saw the painting. It's a really, really lovely image, um, but it is a very, very dark image at the same time. And it was the piece that I actually studied for my A-level, as I said at the time, wasn't really that bothered. I uh, found a new appreciation for it now. Uh, but it's a very, very bold watercolour. It's almost split into two parts, where the like a battle of good and evil, where the lady clothed of the sun fills the bottom half of the image. She represents the faith that she's given birth to in the darkness, and her bright yellow form really, really lights up the bottom half of this piece. She also has wings as well, which uh, God gave her to fight the red dragon that looms above her representing Satan. Uh, and that's in the upper half of the painting. So there's a real sort of uh, contrast between the lower half and the upper half of the painting. There's lights of lightning, sorry, lines of lightning and visible winds as well are in the backdrop. It looks like the devil or the red dragon is brewing a storm. And there's a sense of movement and chaos to this piece as well, which is really, really um, sort of palpable. And uh, yeah, it's about it's about kind of the light that faith brings in absolute darkness. And as I said, God gave the woman wings so she could fly to safety during this sort of battle of good and evil as well. And it sort of represents to Blake the power of faith triumphing over despair. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, the painting has been featured in many, many images before and including novels called The Red Dragon and also the film adaptations of Mindhunter and Red Dragon as well. Um, really, really famous image of Blake. So, yeah, there we go. A little rundown of a couple of the images which, which I think are really, really cool, really influential. I hope you enjoyed that little rundown of some of Blake's work. It is now time for part two of my interview with Amy Kincannon, curator of the William Blake exhibition. <clears throat> Sorry, I don't know what's going on. I've got a little bit of a cough. I apologise if that's in your head, right, in your earphones right now. Um, but she curated the Tate Britain um, and in part of our conversation, part one, uh, we covered the exhibition's focus on William Blake as a visual artist, but also the full picture of him as a student and engraver and an independent artist too, and the success and failures that came with that. So enjoy part two of our in my interview with Amy Kincannon, curator of the William Blake exhibition at the Tate Britain. 
go again with the release of um, etching process. And then of course the American prophecy as well, which feels very uh, bittersweet. Yeah, very much <laughs> um, so. But I love that it embraced that, because that was really important to kind mm. of embrace his um, political side as well, I yeah. suppose. Well, that's, um, that's really what's contained in those books. Mm. It's through layers and layers of um, mythological happenings mm. and um, imaginative storytelling, mm. Blake puts forward his views about the world, mm. and they aren't straightforward. We can't necessarily <laughs> align Blake with any particular type of politics, mm. not that we would recognise as, you know, left or right. Yeah, of course, middle, it's, I'm sure it's very, very different um, time. <laughs> but he was, he was what, what I think is hopefully something that people will pick up on is the fact that Blake was living through very turbulent times. Mm. He was responding to those turbulent times, and we are too. Yeah. You know, the world hasn't become any less unsettling than it was in the 1790s mm. when there was war. Um, there was what Blake perceived as really troubling, increasing um, social inequality. Mm. He was living in Lambeth. He was seeing how industrialization and mechanization mm. of tasks was um, really inducing suffering in poorer people around him mm, mm. and so there are some of those themes in his work totally resonate today let's talk about the relief etching because we don't really <laughs> we don't really know a whole lot about the process <coughs> no. but it's it's the first time i think if i might in saying that um text and imagery was able to sort of be combined into one well he was i mean it was an innovative process yes by which on the same copper plate mm. so a sheet a sheet of copper um would be engraved in such a way that you could have text and image on the same page. Yeah. Now that was possible because Blake um, wrote the text in his own handwriting. Right, so he, yes. normally you'd need a, a block with you know, um, typed letters, yeah. and the little letters would be dropped in, whereas Blake just did it by himself right. in script. But he carved into the metal plate, is that right? Yes. Or was it a, a process? Well, it is, it's the, 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 he layers on, he layers on um, a, substance that st stands out from, oh, see. Okay. from the plate right. and then he inks that and then it's printed but right. the writing he did would have had to be done using a mirror right so yeah of course what's remarkable yeah, I, is that it's, it's so neat it's so steady very impressive um, <laughs> the control he needed the the invention he needed they're they're incredibly complicated things so yeah. it's not just a case of him um working the plate and then printing mm. it what then happens is he might print in one colour, mm -hmm. but then print over in another colour, mm. or print different areas in different colours, yeah. maybe two or three times sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then work back in either him or Catherine with watercolour. With, yeah. And then as time goes on, he starts to use a lot more gold. So yes, I noticed that yeah. as, as the exhibition progressed, so the colours become richer, <laughs> the gold starts to eke out. I thought that was yeah. interesting. Is that is that a reflection on his kind of financial situation, or is that just that he's no, playing to the public? Not kind of really. Uh, I think, um, I don't know what he's playing to. The, the, I think as time goes on, as we were saying, that the stories in his prophetic books become mm. really kind of obtuse. He starts mm. to say, say that they were written in the 1790s to consumers in the 1810s, mm. 20s. A lot That was long ago. Mm. So a lot of the illusions would have been lost on a different audience. Mm. So to, you, to really play up the images. Yeah become something so to use brighter colors mm. to use gold sure. at one point when he was living off the strand he was living um in the same 
building complex as a carver and gilder. Mm, so right. we wonder whether maybe he got some little flecks of gold. I mean, that would make sense, name, right? Sure. Yeah, but it is, you know, that was an expensive material, but it's, we don't quite know how he got mm. it. So it's not necessarily a reflection of his finances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, you, you are right to observe that as the exhibition goes on, mm. the last room particularly, colour kind yes. of explodes onto yes. the scene. Absolutely does. There is there is kind of a quite a clear progression, which again mm. is is why it made so much sense. I assume to, to do this chronologically as well, mm. just for the visuality as yeah. well as the story. Um, one thing I thought was was really interesting as well is that we, I mean, the, the detail in these yeah. works is is quite it's exquisite, and and I thought that the way that the exhibition is presented. It, you weren't looking at books, you were almost looking at them as individual mm -hmm. pieces of artwork, which I thought was a really lovely way to display them. You, you could appreciate them in their own right as well, which I assume, did you have to unbind? Were they unbound or you unbound them? How well, this, yeah, <laughs> this is a very good point and it's one of the key ambitions of the exhibition. Um, as much as possible, we wanted to show Blake's work as it was seen when it was first produced. Yeah. So to gather as many books as we could, um, that ha remain as books mm. was important. Some of them are in their original binding that either Blake yeah. put them in or his customers put them in. But over the years, um, because Blake has become so important and mm. because of the practicalities of museum storage and how things sure. work in museums. I guess, as well, you yeah. need, yeah. So over time, those, some of those books have been disbound mm. and that creates another opportunity mm. because obviously when you have a bound book, you can only show one page. Yeah. <laughs> but then in the case of, as you mentioned, America, yeah, prophecy, yeah. we've got all the pages. Yeah. So and you can see the story develop. It was amazing. As it would have been. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of walk around the room mm. and it's, um, it's, it's fantastic. Mm. And I think it, they really deserve to be appreciated in their own. As I said, the level of detail is, is exceptional and, mm. and the text is, is so beautiful and you know, you can't imagine them being books. They're too good to be books, well, almost. That's, <laughs> no, it's, it's such a nice point because the, we also we we were talk, some of them surprised us. Mm. You know, just how small they are, mm. how tiny, and how exquisite they yeah. are. But that that experience, that original experience of imagine, you know, being in the eighteen hundred early eighteen hundreds, sitting by a fireplace, sitting mm. by a candle holding a tiny book, oh, yeah. handmade yeah, by yeah, William yeah. Blake in your hands. That's that crazy. would have been a really beautiful and yeah. intimate experience. So these were special objects which mm. we wanted to try and convey through yeah. that display. Absolutely, and they are displayed um, you know, in, in all their glory as well, which is, is you know, you've done a fantastic job. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about as well the design of the exhibition, because okay. um, I love the fact that uh, you sort of play with the scales of things and I and I thought that was a really interesting way to get us as an audience to really experience what it was yeah. like um, to experience his work for the mm. first time so I mean you can talk more about that but I am talking specifically about there's a smaller room that emulates his yeah. um, the practice above the haberdashery yeah. uh, shop where he used to live um, and then of course there's the big projection as well yeah. so I'd love to hear what you're kind of yeah, yeah. It's, it's an extension of what I was talking about with the books mm. um, so there are some in one of the design elements involved us finding a way to display pages that used to be in books but have been disbound, mm -hmm. but which you can see work on both sides. Yes. So yeah. there are certain stands by which. Uh, yeah, you can and it looked like, yeah, yeah, that was great too. The, the experience of the book. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. then, like you say, <clears throat> when we wanted to tell the story of Blake's failed one man exhibition, yes. 1809. Yes. You know, that, that's a key turning yeah. point in his life. Yeah. He um, had spent three years in Sussex. Mm. He'd come back to London. He wanted to show the art world what he was made of. He was tired of living in the shadows. He mm. was tired of 
not really being known as a great painter, which is what he wanted to be known as. Mm -hmm. So he um, went back to his family home in Soho, and y what you were saying before about London geography mm. being important, that house on um, Broad Street in mm. Soho is incredibly important. He springs back there throughout totally. his life. He lives there as a student, and then mm. after his father dies, his brother took over the haberdashery business, and his brother allowed him to clear out all the furniture in an upstairs room yeah. and show his pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was supposed to be a kind of, here I am, mm -hmm. London, look at me, yeah. come and buy my work. Yeah. He, he defined <laughs> it as an exhibition of real art. Interesting. By comparison to other people's work, who was, you know, which was clearly and That's a very pointed statement. That's really interesting. Yeah, well, the, the, says exhibition, a lot, <laughs> the exhibition catalogue he wrote with it is, is utterly, you know, he's not lacking self-confidence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I he's yeah. really kind of, um, he comes out all guns blazing. Mm. He names and shames other artists. Wow, who I didn't know that. Are not doing what he thinks is good enough. Subpar. Yeah, <laughs> so he, he really puts himself out there, but nobody came. Mm. So he displayed his works in these domestic spaces. Mm. Um, and that's the experience that we convey in the exhibition. We've recreated mm. that room. We know how big it was. The house isn't there anymore, mm. but we know the footprint. We've um, given a sense of windows and a view yes. outside. Yeah. And we, you may have noticed the illumination. Yes, but only when I walked back <laughs> the second time. And I was it's, like, what yeah, is this? I know, it's, it's, it's quite, quite trippy if you're not expecting yeah. it. Is that, is that like on a, on a kind of timer, that yeah. sort of thing? So, yeah, because I saw, I saw the room and I thought, okay, yeah, it's really interesting. And the paintings are so dark as well. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, really trying yeah. to stare at them. And then I came back and they were lit up and that was amazing. Well, so <laughs> every 10 minutes, um, we project light onto two of Blake's pictures, two yeah. of the ones that he, they were the kind of centerpiece of his exhibition. Mm. So they were the ones that carried the most meaning for him. Okay. But because of his technique, over the years, they've dulled, they've darkened. Mm. They used to be really brilliant. Mm. Greens, vivid reads, mm. bright blues, gold, so shiny. Yeah. Um, but over the years, that has, they've diminished mm. in, um, in appearance. Mm. So we wanted to find a way to digitally recreate that experience mm -hmm. of what they would have looked like when they were first Amazing. made. So accompanying that um, light projection, whereby they spring into beautiful yeah. sort of prismatic color again, yeah. we have um, <laughs> the actor and comedian Kevin Eldon reading words out from Blake's exhibition catalogue. Yes, I again, so I remember, kind of yeah. Hear, hear Blake describing these works as they're illuminated. Sure. I mean, it is a sensory experience as well, which I love because obviously Blake's character, he is so um, emotive and yeah. emotional. And it, 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 you know, he, he's a writer, he's a visual mm. artist. He's, you know, you're meant to hear and understand his words as well as look mm. at, you know, what he's presenting. So it makes sense that it's kind of an all encompassing sensory yeah. experience. Um, I mean, obviously, this exhibition was a lot more successful than his 1809 exhibition. Um, <laughs> well, we hope so. <laughs> what do you think he would have thought of this exhibition? I mean, that's a well, bit that's of a strange question. But I think you, when you were talking about scale, um, in one of the spaces we have projected on a very, very large scale what one of his works would have looked like mm. um, if it was... Hundred, was it 100 feet tall yeah, or something crazy? So <laughs> we've been talking about tiny little books and yeah. we've been talking about pictures that don't look like they used to mm. when they were first painted. Yeah. But the fact is that these pictures were never a meet, they were never just the end result. Mm. Blake imagined these pictures as models for works that would be in you know, 
big cathedrals, in churches, mm. in government buildings. I mean, he was yeah. never really going to get that connection. He was an ambitious, um, <laughs> in all senses he was. of the word. And he, he, I mean, it's not unfounded ambition because they're, they're amazing images, mm. but they just didn't fit what people expected mm. images like, mm. you know, telling those stories to be at the time. They didn't fit mm. expectations mm. and they were problematic. So he was making um, images of national heroes, mm. so Prime Minister and Lord mm. Nelson, the, the the nation's naval hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they weren't necessarily straightforwardly celebratory mm. images. So he would have never really yeah. succeeded. But I think he would have maybe liked to see what they would have looked like. Because obviously totally. digital technology is something we can do that through. Absolutely. I mean, I, I personally think, I mean, I'm very biased because I love the exhibition, but I just thought it was, it was a wonderful... Um, as I said, I've used the word all-encompassing so many times, but it, it really did feel that way. Mm. It felt like we got the whole picture of Blake, um, which I loved. And, and again, you mentioned that he's sort of creating work that was sort of ahead of its time. And even now, sometimes I think his work feels ahead of his yeah. uh, ahead of our time. Mm. It's, it has a strange um, uh, prophetic kind of feel yeah. to it, which is which is really interesting. And you definitely feel that when you're there. Um, do you have a favourite room or piece? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you love all pieces secretly. <laughs> well, the, the last space was always my favourite. Right. <clears throat> we talked before about how um, colour becomes more important to him as time goes on. Absolutely. And the colours in, in his works in the 1820s, mm. um, the last seven years before he died, mm. they're amazing. He goes through um, the, the huge Dante series the illustrations to the I mean, divine comedy my favorite. yeah yeah I they're mean, my favorite just too amazing because they're just they're mad you yeah. Know? <clears throat> the, yeah the kind of imagery and the size of them and you that's think that's the newton one as well isn't it the, the, is that the they're a little bit earlier oh no they're the water yeah sorry yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no I, yeah, I remember because i thought the color there was, was well, yeah, very many, vivid many people that that's their favorite room yeah yeah, yeah people yeah. spending a lot of time in that room with the 12 large they're prints which they, again, they don't. They don't look like. No, prints. they really don't. They don't look so like this. Um, um, yeah. So, so the the late the late Blake is is really my favourite because he's he kind of he's just doing whatever whatever pleases him mm -hmm. and he made some um, very useful friends late in life. Yes. Kind yeah. of um, younger, influential types mm. who idolised him mm. and mythologised him. Mm. You know, they're responsible in a large part for how a lot of the kind of collective idea of Blake as a kind of um, isolated genius because mm. they portrayed him as such. Interesting. I think he played up to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Probably they probably repaired his egos <coughs> in some ways Definitely. as well. Which is well <laughs> yeah, you're, you're totally yeah. right. After the failure of his 1809 exhibition, mm. he declared himself, well, that's it, I am hid, he said. Mm. So he sort of gave up for yeah. a bit and then he made a friend and that snowballed, he made a group of friends, and like you say, they repaired his ego. It's everything I think everyone would want a Blake exhibition to be, and it's absolutely fantastic. It is on display at the moment at the Tate Britain until the 2nd of February, that's right. So, that's right. So definitely pop along and see it. Amy, thank you so much for talking to me <laughs> thank today. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that was the lovely Amy Kincannon. You can still see the exhibition on until the 2nd of February, as I mentioned. Also worth mentioning that the Tate offer a Tate Collective membership, which is a fantastic scheme where young people aged 16 to 25 can sign up for a 
benefits, including £5 tickets for all temporary exhibitions and other discounts too. So go to the Tate.org forward slash the Tate slash collective. Um, so yeah, wasn't that interesting? Well, I hope you found it interesting. I thought it was so interesting talking to Amy, as I said, wasn't really a fan of, uh, of Mr. William Blake, but it turned out I kind of am. Um, now we've got a little bit of time for some art in the news. And uh, one of the most <laughs> interesting pieces of news I found was that photographer, Jack Latham, he's doing a forensic science photography exhibition in Iceland called Sugar Paper Theories. And it's reopened a criminal investigation from 1974 where two men disappeared inexplicably. Six young people were charged and but they they're sort of saying now that it might have been a false confession so uh, kind of encouraged by the police and if you've seen making a murderer you'll know all about the false confession uh, side of stuff but yeah really really interesting that uh, art photography exhibition that will be in Bristol from the 12th of October to the 22nd of December is opening a, a murder investigation. I thought that was really, really interesting. Also, the Rembrandt's infamous Night's Watch, I'm sure you've heard of it, massive, massive piece, uh, is housed in Amsterdam currently at the Rijk Museum, or the Right, yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. Let's let's say yes. Uh, it's being studied in front of a live audience at uh, at its home at the museum in Amsterdam, and it will be a nine month project dedicated to the restoration of the piece, where you can actually watch it live being rest being restored. So I thought that was really interesting. It's a real sort of art then and now because it's uh, studying art from the past using new technology, and you can get tickets from that on their website. That is unfortunately all we've got time for uh, at the moment. But please join me next week for art then and now where i will be telling you more about art from the past and art from the present for any of the information discussed on this week's show please visit the facebook website and uh, you can contact me directly on there at the art then and now see you next week at 3 30 on resonance 104.4 fm Tune to Resonance 104.4.